This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. How are y'all tonight? Man, I cannot describe to you how thrilled and genuinely honored I am to be with you all tonight. And I think part part of the reason is, is because I love people who go to church on Wednesday night. And people who go to church on Wednesday night when it's raining, I mean, y'all get special, special credit. But I want you to know that the primary reason that I'm here is because I love your pastor. And I love that you love him. I saw when I was standing out in the lobby as y'all were coming in, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron. You know, I'm lucky if I get a haymack on Sunday morning. So I love the way you love your pastor. And I just want you to take note of the fact that he would skip church in high school to go to another church. I don't know about you, I did not carry myself that way in high school. (laughs) But that's the kind of pastor that you are. I want you to also understand part of the reason that I love getting to be here is because I love Aaron because I have finally met someone who has married almost as far over his head as I did. So I've only gotten to know Beth in the last few years, and I had no idea. I was here in Tennessee a few years ago, and Aaron and I were having a conversation. She said, yeah, sometimes Beth leads worship. She's got a really good voice. And I thought to myself at the time, oh, that's unfortunate. Whenever the pastor's wife is leading worship, that is not a good sign. But Beth, you can blow, sister. That was awesome. Also, I want to take just a minute. Our worship pastor, Mark Grudis, is here with us tonight. Mark, right over here. And Beth, Mark, Mark will tell you, I don't say things just to be nice. So, I mean, that was serious and wonderful words. I mean, the spirit was better than the voice, and the voice rocked your face off. That was great. So, man, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to look at Psalm chapter 122. As I said, I am beyond honored and thrilled to be here. And as I began praying about asking, God, what would you have me share in Aaron's church? I mean, I'm here as a guest. I'm under his authority as the pastor and began praying. Say, God, what do you want me to share? What can I do to help to serve the church at Indian Lake? And I kept coming back to this passage of scripture, Psalm 122, verse 1, Some of you may be familiar with the older translation, the King James Version. Now, the King James Version would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord, which is a beautiful translation, and it works, and it's great. But I particularly appreciate the modern paraphrase, the message on this particular passage. Check this out. I I love what this says. When they said, let's go to the house of God, My heart leaped for joy. Is that great? Let's read that together out loud, shall we? Let's say that together. Here we go. When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. I think that that ought to be the case every single time we get to go to the house. Every single time we get to go because... We should come in here expecting God to do something great. Not because we deserve it. Not because, you know, I'm six foot one, 170 pounds of twisted blue steel. But because God 
is God. And he has called us here. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also. And so if there are two, can you imagine what it's like when there are 20? Or when there are 200? Or when there are 15,000? Or whatever the number may be. The number is irrelevant. And the number means everything all at the same time. Because the number represents people like you and me. People like Pastor Aaron and Beth. People for whom Jesus Christ went to the cross and died. And for whom he was raised again on the third day. So when somebody says to you, hey, let's go to church. You ought to go, let's go. I mean, and then, I'm, you know, here I really am. I'm preaching to the already convinced. Because again, it's Wednesday night and it's raining. So you can share this with all of your friends later on. But I, I love when it says, let us go to the house of God. I, I want you to know that I am a fan of the house. I am a major, major fan of the house. Now, I know that probably some of you are thinking, well, of course you are a preacher boy. I mean, come on, you're, you're a pastor. You, if you're not a fan, who will be? But let me explain something to you. Yes, I am a preacher, but I am a fan of the house because of what I have seen God do in my life personally. Long before I was ever Pastor Mac, Person Mac became a monster, monster fan of the house because it was in the house, the house that I attended growing up, the house that I was a part of growing up where I discovered God is all about relationship. Not religion, not ritual, but relationship. I discovered that in the house. It was in the house that I discovered not only was God all about relationship, but God was actually for me. He, he, was, he is actually on my side. Now, for some of you, that's like, well, no duh. But for some people, that is a radical, revolutionary thought to think that God is not some cosmic killjoy sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt at the ready. And anytime we start to enjoy life or have fun, He's there to zap us. But to understand that God is Emmanuel. God with us. And so... He wants to know you. He wants you. He wants me to know Him. It was in the house that I discovered that. It was in the house when my parents divorced that I came to really and truly understand what a relationship with God was all about. I was 12 years old, and I was one of those kids that got brought up in church. I bet on Wednesday night, raining in Tennessee, we got a lot of folks here who have brought up in church. Were you brought up in church? Raise your hand if you were brought up. You were just, we were there, baby. I'm not talking about just Sunday morning. No, 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 no. I'm talking Sunday morning, Sunday night. Come on, children's choir. And then again on Wednesday night, vacation Bible school with the Kool-Aid and graham crackers. I'm talking the whole nine yards. My dad was a deacon. My mom taught Sunday school. We 
were the cleavers at church. And I didn't realize it. But as a child, I had placed my ultimate faith in my parents' marriage. I knew that they would be married. As a matter of fact, I still remember the day that my fourth grade girlfriend, Gracia, told me her parents were getting a divorce. And I went home and told my mom and dad that Gracia's mom and dad were getting a divorce. And my mom and dad looked longingly at each other across the front seat of the 1975 Chevrolet station wagon that we drove and looked at each other, smiled, and then looked into the back seat of my brothers and me and said, you know, you never have to worry about that with us. And so when that got yanked out from underneath me, I remember sitting on a soccer field at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and saying, God, I don't know what a relationship with you means, but I know that I need one. God showed up. It was in the house that God brought godly, honoring men into my life because there wasn't one at home and showed me, never once stepping up and saying, I'm here to be your father, but showing me what a godly man looked like, a godly man who loved God with all of his heart, who was passionately crazy, stupid in love with his wife, worked hard and provided for his family and poured into his kids. I got to see that up close and personal, though there wasn't one in my house because of the house. It was in the house that I ultimately discovered the reason God had created me, that I discovered my calling into ministry. When I was 16 years old, I was getting ready to take the PSAT which was in preparation for the SAT, which was in preparation for college, which was in preparation for a job, which was in preparation to feed the family. And so at 16 years old, I began thinking, what do I want to do for a living? Now, this was a God moment. I was not like Aaron in high school. This was a God moment when I said to myself in this private dialogue, I said, I like people. I can talk. I'll sell. I'll just sell stuff. And as long as the money's good enough, I would enjoy doing that. And in that moment, God spoke into my spirit, as long as the money's good enough is not reason to get up and go every morning. And so I began praying. I said, God, what would you have me do? Again, I'm 16. Believe me when I tell you. Mark, my close personal friend here, will tell you I'm not that smart. This was a God moment. I said, God, what would you have me do? And I said, okay, if money's no object, let's say you make a dollar a year or you make a billion a year, money's no object, what would you do? This is the only thing I could think of. This is the only thing that I could think of that would be worth me pouring my life into every single day. And that was the process that God used to begin calling me into full-time vocational gospel ministry. That all happened in the house. It was in the house that I met my wife, Julie. Now, <clears throat> when I tell you I married so far over my head, you'll just have to trust me until I can get Julie to Nashville. Hendersonville, sorry. You will have to trust me because it was in the house that I met a perfect match. She's not a perfect woman. I'm somewhat less than perfect as a man. But she is a 
perfect match. And it was in the house. How many of y'all are not married right now? Raise your hand if you're not married. That's cool. Raise your hand up high. If you're not married, that's great. Did you know that you have a special calling that I don't have? The Apostle Paul said, you are better suited to serve God than I am. God can do stuff through you. He can't do through the rest of us who are married. We got a handicap. That's biblical. I don't know what you're laughing at. Now, it's a great handicap. Could I get a witness, please? But, I'm just saying, if you're not married right now tonight, can you think of a better place to meet your mate than the house? Some poor fools are going to try to do this in bars. <laughs> now, I know, you'll meet people and be like, well, we met in a bar. Hey, that's called the exception that proves the rule. But it was in the house that I met Julie, my wife. When I think about some of the girls that I dated, that I thought I could marry, and then look back over the last 18 years of wedded bliss that Julie and I have had, and I think about some of those other girls, it just, it's bad. <clears throat> so, I'm a fan of the house. I love the house because of what God has poured into my life by His grace. All of the things that I just listed for you, I deserve absolutely none of them. Not one bit of it. Every single gift that I just described was an expression of the grace of God Almighty. To be here tonight with you in the house, with your pastor, that I met when he was in high school. I was a wet behind ears, 23-year-old punk, part-time student pastor, and had no clue what I was doing. And yet somehow God has woven all of that together to where you and I, get to be here together tonight to celebrate His faithfulness, to celebrate His goodness, to worship Him, to receive something from Him. All of that happens because of the house. Now the house is an incredibly power-packed concept throughout Scripture. From Genesis to Maps, God uses the issue of the house to talk over and over and over again about His presence amongst His people. The first iteration of the house we know goes back to the Old Testament with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that portable, mobile church building that the nation of Israel uses. It wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now I want you to think about that for a second. We think about the nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness because of their lack of faithfulness, because of their doubting of the spies report, Joshua and Caleb, and we go, bad Israel. Their wandering clearly was judgment, and yet, in the middle of that judgment, God held Israel in the palm of His hand. They were exactly where He wanted them to be. Wandering in the wilderness, unsure of where the pillar would lead. 
And yet God made sure to provide a place for community worship. And he provided it very specifically. He illustrated and told them specifically what it was to be constructed of. And then when Israel was established and settled in the promised land, the tabernacle gave way to the temple. And the temple was built there in Jerusalem. Built by the design of David with materials David had gathered, but ultimately constructed by David's son Solomon. And the temple became the focal point for the community that was this holy nation of Israel. And the temple lasted. But in the wake of Jesus Christ, in the shadow of the cross, the temple gave way to something much more personal, much, much more powerful and proficient. I want you to see what I'm talking about in 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, among other places in the New Testament, this is what it says. As you come to Him, the living stone, Jesus, who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual... What's that word? House to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are the house. We are like the living stone, the cornerstone. Living stones that God is building to into His house. Now I want you to do something for me, will you? Just trust me on this. I want everybody to stand up for just a moment. Stand up. Take a little deep breath. Now, I want you to look around the room at the faces of the other people in this room. Just take a look around the room real quick. If you don't have dinner plans and you're single, you may be making some about now. Okay? You, you can have a seat. I know some of you are thinking, if he makes me give a back rub to the person next to me, I'm not going to do that. Every single person that you just locked eyes with is being built into the house. Say house. The house. The house ain't bricks and sticks, pumpkin. The house is you and I. The house is the living, breathing bride of Jesus Himself, the church. And you all, here in Hendersonville, the church at Indian Lakes, have such an enormous opportunity. But let me tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take power that you don't have. I hope that doesn't rock anybody's world. But you, Church of Indian Lake, are called to do something that you can't do. Just like we in Austin at Lake Hills Church, we are called to do something that we can't do. Aaron shared with you kind of my spiritual lineage coming from Fellowship Church in Grapevine. When we moved to Austin, Fellowship Church had about 4,500 people showing up on the weekends to worship together as the house. 
We were meeting in a rented high school, MacArthur High School, Mighty Cardinals, home of Brian Bosworth. And it was an incredible move of God. We moved to Austin. And we're praying and seeking God and, and trying to be smart. We were working our heads off. The first Sunday of our church's existence, we had 144 people show up. We were like, wow, God, man, thank you. It's not 4,500, but man, it's a good start. So 144. The next weekend, we saw 77 people come to church. The weekend after that, 43. Now, Remember earlier I said it's not about the numbers? That's true. But 144 to 77 to 43 is not the trend you're praying for when you start a church. We were sucking wind. I mean, it was like we had just run wind sprints for hours every single Sunday. There would be 35 people in the worship service. And when I tell you our band was bad, I mean terrible. And that's not a judgment call. That's just like today's Wednesday and it's raining. They were great people. And in heaven we will worship together. But it was the worst music you've ever heard in your life. And I would have to stand up and preach after that and act like it had been great. Boy, wasn't that great. Thank you all so much. Father, right now I just pray. And yet God did it. God was so faithful. He would give us just enough fuel to take one more step. Sometimes the fuel was one more person stepping over the line of faith in Christ and saying, I will surrender my life to this Jesus. You see one person do that, you'll get up and go again the next day. Sometimes it was a long-time Christ follower who had come alongside and say, I've never been to church in an elementary school cafetorium, but I'm coming back. We were like, okay, then we will too. Thanks. But we just saw inch by inch, life by life, God's faithfulness played out like I know you are here. But it requires an incredible amount of power. Can I tell you something? Anything you do to help or to bless your pastor and his wife helps you. Aaron didn't know I was going to say that because he would have told me not to. Anything you can do to help or to bless your pastor and his family helps you and it helps the house. Believe me when I tell you, he loves you. You are a loved congregation. I get that on the phone in Austin, four states away when I talk to him. And he needs your help. He wants your help. You have got a leader and a man of God like few churches in the country. And you need to understand the blessing that that is. I know a lot of pastors. you got one of the good ones. All right? It's going to take power that you don't have. Fortunately, you've been offered 
that power. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, He said, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. Now I want to stop right there for a second. Jesus is in conversation with His closest follower. This is post-resurrection. This is immediately before His ascension, His return to heaven. And the disciples ask Him, Okay, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Here, He has gone to the cross. He has suffered an excruciating death. Separation from God the Father. Alienated from Him because He became my sin, your sin. Died. Separated from God. And rose again came back to life like He promised He would do. Even allowed them to touch the wounds in His side and in His hands. And basically they ask Him right here, okay, that was all great, but is now when the kingdom of Israel comes back? It's, it's like little kids in the car on vacation. It's kind of like, are we there yet? If, if, if that were me, if, if I were in Jesus' sandals at this moment, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Did you miss the resurrection? That's my best stuff. But Jesus doesn't do that. I love Jesus. Look, he says, he goes, no, listen. Don't worry about the kingdom thing. That's going to come in time. I've just gotten the ball rolling. The kingdom thing will happen. You take care of what I'm telling you to take care of. Then look at what he says. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, don't worry about when the trumpet blows. You'll hear it. But, you're going to get power. You're going to get power that you don't even know anything about. You're going to get power that you really are afraid to ask for. Because you see, as long as Jesus was there with them in the body, He was their power. He was there with them. But when He returned to heaven and His earthly ministry was over, He imparted to them and to you and me the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Spirit. But here's something so critical. The Spirit ain't for us. Did you hear me? The Spirit's not for us. It's in us. It's through us. But look at what the Spirit is for. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know how we translate that here? You will be my witnesses in Middle Tennessee, all of Tennessee, the U.S. of A., and to the ends of the earth. 
You know where missions begins? At home. Missions isn't about Africa or New Guinea or Haiti. It can be. But don't cross an ocean unless you first cross the street. You work with people. You live with people. You go to school with people who desperately need to know how extravagantly God loves them. And the first way that they're going to see that is in how you love them. They're different. Jesus is different from you. <laughs> A lot. How do we love those people? How do we meet their needs? How do we answer their questions? You know where our power is. Our power is not in us. Here's where our power is. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I can be ashamed of my behavior sometimes. <laughs> I've got stuff, baggage, junk in my trunk. I've got stuff that tonight, if I thought Aaron had a video that would show my entire life story on this video screen behind me, I would run out of here with my hair on fire. If it weren't for the gospel. Because I'm clean. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I'm from Texas. Especially not because I'm from Texas. But I'm clean because of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that you can communicate the gospel. If you were to walk into Starbucks tomorrow morning and order a grande latte with an extra shot of espresso, because that's how God wants us to drink it, and the barrister behind the counter were to look at you and say, you were at that church last night with that skinny red-headed guy from Austin. What's the gospel? Could you explain it? I mean, I'm just talking about in common English. Could you tell him or her, what's the gospel? What, what does it mean? Oh, why I go to church all day? Oh, no, no, I understand. What's the gospel. If you need a cheat sheet, the Bible's got some great stuff in it. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. To us. If you and I can't explain the Gospel, who can? Here's the deal, too. This is the dirty little secret that no pastor wants to talk about. The barista at Starbucks, the woman in the cubicle next to you at work, the guy in the locker room at school, more than likely, that person is not going to ask Pastor Aaron. He's probably not going to ask me. He's going to ask you. But they're only going to ask if they see the ministry of reconciliation in your life. If they see you living in that gospel power. I'm a huge fan of Bishop T.D. Jakes. The bishop can preach. As we like to say, he can flat shuck the corn. One of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. The bishop was talking about the prodigal son. And I love me some prodigal son. And he told the story as only the bishop can. And explained that the father's youngest younger son had come to him and asked for his inheritance in advance taken the money and run, gone off to the far country and squandered it on wild women and living. And the bishop said, the older brother missed the blessing of being in the house all those years. Because when the younger brother returned and the father threw the party and killed the fatted calf, the older brother stood outside grumbling. And the bishop says, no matter what you do, stay in the house. Broke, busted, or disgusted, stay in the house. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. You are blessed beyond measure, pressed down and spilling over to be in this house. I want to ask you to do yourself a favor. To do the kingdom of God a favor. I want to ask you to pray about and think about orienting your life around the house. Our world throws a lot of distractions at us. Work, I understand, you got to eat, believe me. School, sports, extracurricular, band, dance, working out, hunting, fishing, NFL, fantasy league. The house is the hope of the world. Moms and dads, 
your kids need to be in the house. Bill, I don't want to force it on them. Are you kidding me? You force them into sports? I've done it, so I'm not preaching at you, okay? I've repented, but I've done it. The house is where they need to be. The house is where we need to be. I want you to think about what Jesus Christ did with 12 crusty fishermen, tax collectors, And then I want you to look around the room again tonight, please, right now. Just look around the room. Same faces you looked at a minute ago. I'm not a math guy, but there's more than 12 here. What does God want to do if you will orient your life around the house? Sounds to me like power that this world desperately needs. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Our Father and our God, we worship you. We worship you, God, because you deserve it and we need to worship you. Father, right now we just confess that there is nothing in this world, nothing of this world that deserves our devotion, our commitment like you. Father, I pray for this church, for the church at Indian Lake. I pray that you will continue this incredible work that you have already begun, that you will bless beyond anything that we could ask or imagine, according to your power, this house. Father, I ask for a supernatural hedge of protection around the children's ministry, the students' ministry, the worship, every Bible study, every social gathering, God. We know that it's not just social. That eternity hangs in the balance. God, I pray tonight Pastor Aaron and Beth, I lift them up to you and thank you for the blessing that they are to me. To our church in Austin. To your church universally. God, I pray courage for them. I pray vision to see your dreams, God, to know what you have in store for them. And in advance, Jesus, we give you the glory. We've already admitted we can't do this. But we know that you can and we believe that you will. 
you've brought them too far in too short a time to leave them hanging. I pray for this weekend's services, that there will be hundreds of people who walk through these doors, many of them brand new for the first time, not knowing what you have already in store for them. They will sense your spirit, your joy, your peace, your truth, and your grace in every exchange. This has been a Church in Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.